Ah, fishing, a pastime for people who are actually patient. Not me at all, but I'm out here on an imaginary shoreline to cast a fake fishing line and see what I reel in. Oh, ho, 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 what's this? I got a bite. All right, time to reel this bad boy in and uh, see what we got on the other end. Oh, oh, ho, ho, it's a sandbar shark. What an amazing, uh, let me just check the script. Coincidence. Yeah, I was just talking to a shark scientist about his research on how fishing affects this species of shark, and about how he is taking two worlds he resides in, fishing and science, which can often seem opposed, and using research to find answers to help bridge them together. Let me, uh, let me safely get this shark back in the water while you listen to another episode of Shark Tales. Overfishing can be a major problem. It's what drove the cod out of Cape Cod, and it's still happening today. According to the World Wildlife Fund, 39% of fish stocks are classified as overfished. Not a good statistic. Sustainable fishing is an issue that commercial fishermen need to consider as we move into the future. And they aren't the only ones out there. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, NOAA, says that recreational anglers caught 950 million fish in 2019, and that number includes, the stars of this podcast, sharks. Let me introduce you to a Massachusetts scientist who happens to be the perfect person to talk to about sharks and fishing. My name is Dr. Jeff Kneebone. I'm a research scientist at the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life at the New England Aquarium. Jeff loves fishing and studying ocean life, and bringing those worlds together for the betterment of both. So I got into science because of my love for fishing, and it's uh, I've been fortunate enough to kind of do them in, in parallel throughout a lot of my career. Uh, but that's kind of where my motivation comes from. As a fisherman, you know, I have a strong vested interest in sustainable fisheries, and that's really what drives my research, to try to ask the hard questions that need to be asked, uh, as uncomfortable as they may be at times, to really try to figure out what the impact is of a fishery on a species or a stock or an area. Jeff's research has focused on how commercial and recreational fishing affects fish and fish populations, and for the past few years has focused on the catch and release of sandbar sharks, a popular recreational pastime in Cape Cod. NOAA has many restrictions when it comes to sharks and fishing. There are 19 species of Atlantic shark, including the great white shark, that U.S. commercial fishermen cannot possess or retain in any form. And there are several species like the sandbar shark that can only be kept in limited circumstances. In Massachusetts, the sandbar shark population declined dramatically with an increase in recreational onshore fishing, so releasing them back in the water has helped reverse the damage, but we didn't know if the experience caused any lasting damage or even death to the shark. Targeting sharks recreationally from beaches is a really popular activity, not only in Massachusetts, but also in basically the entire U.S. eastern seaboard from you know, the Gulf of Mexico, Florida, all the way up to, to here in New England. And a lot of sharks are caught from the beach using you know, rod and reel, and they're brought into the surf, sometimes brought up onto the beach itself to have the hook removed or, you know, have photos taken. And with sandbars, we're trying to figure out how that affects them. Specifically, we want to know whether or not they can survive the whole process. Through the Fishery Science and Emerging Technologies Group at the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life, Jeff and Nick Whitney have collaborated with Dr. Greg Skomel of the Massachusetts Division of Marine Fisheries to study the survival rate of sandbar sharks following catch and release. 
First, they observe the shark's physical appearance and any external damage it might have. We'll look at to see if there's any injuries from you know the hooking event or the you know being fought on hook and line, and we'll just kind of get an idea of how it looks. And then usually while the fishermen are taking the hook out or you know j taking photos or handling the animal, we'll jump in with this tag and we put it on the dorsal fin of the shark. Jeff showed me one of the tags and it's very cool, which isn't a scientific term, but it's true. A bright orange device that fits in the palm of his hand as two wires wave above his forearm. And it can do a lot. This is what our lab affectionately calls an acceleration data logger. It's basically three different devices all wrapped up in one thing. And this gets attached to the dorsal fin of the shark. Uh, so when the fishermen catch it on the beach, they'll, they'll bring it you know, in and land it, and then we'll jump right in. And, and what this tag basically does is gonna stay on the animal for usually one to four days. And then it's gonna collect all kinds of different information about what the shark is doing during that time. The tag records acceleration in three different vectors, like a shark Fitbit, basically giving a detailed look at the animal's movements. This, along with the depth sensor, allows the researchers to study how the shark behaved after it was released. And all of that information together is going to tell us whether or not the shark is alive, because if it's actively swimming, changing depth, speeding its tail consistently, it's there's a pretty good chance that it's alive. And you can imagine uh, what it will be like if there's no change in depth and the tail is not beating for an extended period, that's a bad sign. But recording the data is half the battle. They've got to get the tag back when it detaches after a few days. And that's where this tag showcases more tricks. So at the end of the, the time that we tell it to stay on, it detaches from the animal, floats to the surface, and then uh, tells us where it is because the one thing about this tag is it collects a ton of information, but we have to physically get it back. So when the tag pops off the shark, this right here is a satellite tag. So there's a wet dry sensor, and when it comes to the surface, this will be dry, this will be wet, and the tag will say, hey, I'm floating at the surface. It'll then start transmitting to a satellite. I then have it teed up to my email, so I'll get an email that says, hey, this tag is up, and conveniently, it gives us a GPS location. For the record, getting an email from a shark tag is way more exciting than the dozens of PR emails I get every day. But then again, I don't go hunting in the ocean for the PR pitches using fancy technology like Jeff does with these tags. So it basically just sends out a ping every second, and you can dial it in and listen to it with the receiver with an antenna. Point the antenna and you'll hear these little beeps. And when you are pointing at the tag, the beeping is louder. Lo and behold, most of the time or all the time so far with these tags, the tag is, is right there floating in the water. We then just grab it and then boom, we have our data. When we spoke, they had tagged 22 sandbar sharks and are hoping to wrap up their research by the end of the season. What have they found out so far? Well, good news, sandbar sharks are pretty tough. It's been a pretty clear conclusion so far. I mean, obviously everything's preliminary. We're not done with the study, but they all have survived. They are very active after they the acceleration data from the accelerometer, that little Fitbit, ha have really just been quite clear showing us that you know, there's high rates of survival. With catastrophic floods happening around the world and that literal vortex of fire in the ocean, 
I'll take good news about nature any day. But this isn't the case for all species of shark. So they're really hardy, but there are other species of shark that do not fare so well. Um, just off the top of my head, like hammerhead sharks don't usually do as well. Uh, other species like uh, black tip sharks and even dusky sharks don't seem to survive at the same rate as sandbars. And the same goes with, with bony fish. Uh, there's some species that are really tough and resilient and others that are more susceptible. There really is. Researchers have witnessed negative effects if a shark is not handled properly or left in the air too long. A study from the University of Newcastle in Australia found that captured sharks left on deck for 15 minutes swam for a maximum of 30 seconds after release, then became immobile for 5 minutes. Not a good thing. Jeff loves fish. He loves to fish. And understanding the best ways to fish for fish is his wish. Oh boy, I gotta get outside more. Anyway, he's a very chill guy, probably the most chill guy I've interviewed ever, and he just loves to cast a line and see what he finds. I guess it's kind of like a hunt. You, they're not the easiest things to find. You, I like the the challenge of going out on the ocean and thinking about where the the fish are, and then going to try to catch them. So I guess that's that's kind of a draw. And then I don't know. It's just something that's innate. I've just, as far as I can remember in my life, it's just something that's made me happy and uh, something I've looked forward to doing, and it just persists. Right now, he is primarily a recreational fisherman, but he's worked for fisheries in the past, including commercial fisheries, and he wants to find more and more ways to get fisheries to listen to science and for science to understand the business of fishing. So I got into science because of my love for fishing and but that's kind of where my motivation comes from. As a fisherman, you know, I have a strong vested interest in sustainable fisheries, and that's really what drives my research, to try to ask the hard questions that need to be asked, uh, as uncomfortable as they may be at times, to really try to figure out what the impact is of a fishery on a species or a stock or an area. And then once we better understand what the impacts are, then we can figure out how to manage it properly. And the other component of it is I like to try to do a lot of outreach. So sometimes there's kind of a divide or a rift or perhaps even distrust between science and fisheries or fishermen. And I try, uh, I don't know how successful I am at it, but I try to try to bridge that gap by talking to fishermen and trying to relate to them by understanding and then trying to attack it from both that side and the scientific side to, like I said, ask the right questions, get the right data, and really try to promote overall sustainability. Science is about finding answers, and sometimes the answers that science finds are uncomfortable and painful. Action from scientific findings can hurt business or force change that impacts people's lifestyles and hobbies. Like, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that property developers didn't like researchers finding out cheap asbestos caused lung cancer. The NFL might rather you not know the long-term effects of brain damage on its players, and running a fishing business is difficult enough without science butting in. But reality cannot be ignored, and business depends on the future as much as it does the present. Can't make a profit if the ocean's empty. Convincing people of that is difficult it's not always easy and it 
may not be possible with everyone and uh, that's something that I kind of grapple with a little bit. It's it's tough but my sights are set on long-term sustainability and, and trying to ask those difficult questions, get the data that we need to get us going in the right direction and kind of establish a framework that just promotes sustainability and I feel like there's more momentum building behind science and engagement of between uh, fishermen and scientists so I just try to be as part of, a part of that as much as I possibly can and I'll just you know keep working at it throughout my entire career and hopefully when I'm done I can look back and and uh, find that I had a positive impact in some way. The world is changing and human beings are a major part of that change. That is an undeniable fact and businesses need to handle that reality. Science can find the answers that are out there. We just need to cast a line and be patient. Thank you so much for listening to Shark Tales, a podcast created in partnership with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy. You can find deep dives with shark researchers on all kinds of shark topics in seasons one and two. Find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.